This is Saving Brothers with Philip Robertson on the Saving Brothers podcast. Well, good day, friends. Back for yet another podcast. And I always say this, though, but I love to vicariously travel around the world. And I kind of seem to be spending a fair bit of time in the good old US of A at the moment. But, hey, I've got some awesome guests that I keep bringing to you across the world. And today, my guest, Ray, Ray Arata. Ray, welcome to Firstly to Saving Brothers. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Ray, tell us where you're, uh, where you're from. So I'm I'm in the land of where the mountain bike began, uh, which is in Fairfax, California, in Marin County, north of San Francisco, uh, by about 25 miles. Yeah, I love San Fran. I must admit, I was there the night. Funny enough, that Steph Curry, if you're a, if you're a basketball fight mm-hmm. fan, I was there the night with my family, and he broke the all-time three-point shooting record. And that was an incredible event uh, in the old stadium there. That was cool. In fact, that was the year they won their championship. You should have seen him last night. He did he have another great game. I saw the, I saw the highlights. <laughs> yeah, he's a he, – and I think when you actually get to see him, Ray, live and how fast his hands move and when people are trying to double-team him, I mean – He's pretty pretty spectacular because the night before I'd seen L.A., uh, I saw the Lakers play the Clippers uh, back in uh, Los Angeles. So when I got to San Fran, it was much more tribal, uh, the, the stadium there, but uh, really fond memories. So, Ray, I, I really want to ask you this question, and we did talk about this briefly off air. How's your day going out of 10, brother? Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I would say it's a, it's a 7. Um, okay. At 59 years of age, I'm, I'm feeling a little tired but the upshot is um, I went for a bike ride with uh, two of my buddies who have done men's weekends. So they're emotionally literate guys. And we, we got a chance to catch up and, and get real and, and share our struggles. And, you know, uh, underneath that seven, you know, my, my 27-year-old son um, had an emotional breakdown a couple months ago. And he's been living... Uh, with me, he's done the men's weekend, but you know when in your when you're in your late twenties, uh, at some point maybe, and you're fortunate like him, you realize that trying to be anybody else, trying to be like me, his dad, is a is is not a good end game. And when you come to when your soul cries out, and you realize I I need to be only me, well, you kind of have to start over. So my wife and I have been holding space for him to um, rebuild himself up, and so. Behind the scenes, behind this happy face, it's been a go. It's been tough. But do you know, Ray, firstly, brother, thank you for sharing that. I think that the thing that I can see as a father, my boys, I've got two boys, I'm a divorcee, my boys are 21 and 19, but I think at his age, 27, it's like he's got time, he's got time yeah. to find himself, to, to find and speak his truth yeah, and realise that he just needs to be ultimately not aspiring to be you, but be the best version of himself. And I think that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, I think this whole thing, and the reason I asked you the question, "Hey, brother, how's your day going?" Out of ten, is because you know you've run men men's help groups for many, many years. You're an expert in that, in understanding us men. We're cave men. We know that we go inside our cave when we don't want to deal with stuff or shit. What's going on in our world? And that's why we ask that question because we want to give men a safe space to put the load down for a bit. And actually, yeah. I get men around the world, Ray, say to me, well, Phil, mate, actually, 
I'm a one, I'm a three. And for me, then I can actually go, right, so what's going on for your brother? And that's that's the beauty of such a, a simple but powerful question. And I could, I could go on about that as part of our Keep Five Alive program forever. But today is about you. Ray, tell me how in heck did you land here? Like here you are talking to this Aussie, end of your day, down under. How did you get on this journey to, to be helping men all over the world? The mother of my children, my former wife, dropped the Volkswagen on my head to get my attention. And it was in the form of a uh, not wanting to be married to me anymore. And not too long after that, uh, one of my business partners uh, in the middle of the night went to a rival firm. And that was nothing short of a betrayal because we were friends. And he just, he didn't tip his hat off and he just left. And so I didn't have the playbook to deal with my emotions around that. So the only thing that came out was anger. And one day my, the manager and my uh, financial services firm called me out and kind of the way he did it sounded like my former wife. And I said, you know what, I need to do something. And so I went into his office and I told him, thank you for calling me out. What do I do? And he hands me a brochure and I look at this thing and it says mankind project men's weekend. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And he kind of smiled and he winked and he said, I can't tell you what goes on there, but here, call my wife. And basically I I took his word for it. I went and I did this weekend and it was a non-denominational initiation into healthy manhood. That's the best way I could describe it. And so I got a chance to see how the pained little boy in me was driving the adult bus, negatively impacting those around me. And uh, it woke my ass up. And at the end of the weekend, the leaders encouraged us to join a men's group because one weekend doesn't solve everything. And they said, you know, life's going to come flying at you and and you best be served by working that emotional muscle, which I now refer to as a conscious partnership of the head and the heart. And so on I went, started doing these men's weekends. And after my seventh weekend, I declared leadership track. And I'm now at like 55 men's weekends. I've gone into maximum security prisons. And uh, I was challenged by uh, a South African man that I was playing a one-to-one game and I needed to play a one-to-many game. And he encouraged me to write uh, my first book. And for those of you who are looking, I wrote Wake Up, Man Up, Step Up, Transforming Your Wake Up Call to Emotional Health and Happiness in Dude Speak. And it caught the attention of a woman diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant who was enamored with what I was doing. And she said, men in corporate need to hear from you because you sound like them, you look like them. And I thought about that and I'm like, you know what? They're the ones with all the power, position, privilege, and platform that they could really influence. So I I uh, selfishly was intrigued at the idea of doing men's work inside corporate. And so uh, after speaking to a lot of women, primary uh, women-filled audiences, I'm like, this is going to take forever. I understand gender equality, but somebody needs to do something. And I realized maybe that somebody was me. And I reached out to a bunch of corporate people and I said, I've got this idea. I want to advance healthy masculinity into the corporate space. Would you back me? And they said, yes. And so in 2013, I think I was in New York City at Michael Kimmel's uh, International Masculinities Conference. And when I knew, when I heard Sheryl Sandberg, founder of Lean In and COO of Facebook, and Jennifer Siebel Newsom, the filmmaker, 
of The Mask You Live In. That's a trailer that your listeners should look at, The Mask You Live In on YouTube, that chronicles the masculinity crisis. I walked backstage like I owned the joint using all my privileges. Nobody stopped me. And I introduced myself, and they since became colleagues and partners. And so when I did the Better Man Conference in 2016, uh, companies came, the Intels, the Verizons, the Toyotas, a whole host of other companies, Moody's, Sony, uh, Price Waterhouse, who has a big uh, presence down in Australia. And that was six years ago. And so fast forward, time's up, Me Too, COVID, Black Lives Matter, they all formed a perfect storm that are shining a light on the majority, men. Now, this is, where, this is why the timing's so good. Men are asking, Ray, what do I do? Companies are asking, Ray, how do I engage my men? That's why I wrote the book. And so even though I get, I'm get, i known for being the founder of the Better Man Conference, in truth, I'm a healer, and men's work is where it started, and that's, that's where I'm most comfortable. So that's how I got into this and why I'm here today. It's a global phenomenon. Absolutely beautiful. But I think what I love about what you've also shared, right, is you can walk in other men's shoes because, hey, you worked in financial services, you worked probably in a maybe a jocular kind of macho, masculine environment. Yeah. You've had your own challenges. I mean, I've been, I'm a divorcee. I was married 22 and a half years. I know the pain of divorce, not living with my sons for the last almost three and a half years. And I know the pain of the GFC. I went through that. I was a mortgage broker for 19 years. But what I'm yeah. loving and what I'm hearing is that when you, you can look men in the eye, including the CEOs of, of these top corporations, and say, brother, I get you. I know mm-hmm. what I, I know your journey. Let me tell you, there's a way, way through this. That's exactly That's right. It's all about compassion, compassion and empathy and understanding. Absolutely, and I think that's the importance. I mean, for us, our tagline, Ray, is for Saving Brothers is you matter. We validate that every man, whoever identifies as a man in the workplace, wherever, colour, creed, race, religion, whatever, end of the day, their life matters to us at Saving Brothers. So I really, really love this. So the work that you're doing at the moment, talk to us about where you're at right now. You've written a second book, which is yes. the one about showing up. Let's unpack that. I'd really like to hear about that. Yeah, so uh, when I wrote my first book, I had so much going on in my head and was being asked all the time that, for me, writing a book was the way to get it out and and, in order, per se. And uh, the second book, I wrote this uh, during COVID, and it was because when I started, when when I did the Better Man Conference, unbeknownst to me, I was putting myself on a very steep learning curve to learn about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when I, and that's when I really came to understand and appreciate my privilege, privileges. And so, and then it's advanced now to as a white, cisgendered, heterosexual male, the, the critical role I play in talking to other white men, regardless of, you know, uh, where, where they come from, because we're the ones in power still. And if I can humanize privilege, as opposed to demonize privilege and help and encourage, you know, men and leaders, white or not, to sit in the question, you know, how do I want to be experienced by other people? Then I've accomplished a lot. And so when I wrote the book, um, we created a framework 
uh, we call it the Allies Journey Framework that the book is centered around. And there's four steps to it. Because what I'm really inviting men to do is to go on a proactive journey of introspection. The first step is acknowledge your stuff. That's dude speak. So what's your stuff? It's your bias. It's your privilege. It's these things called your emotions. And it's this thing called the man box, which is, which are those Paul Kibble. Uh, I want to give him credit. Um, he created the man box. And then Tony Porter uh, did a, 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 a well-known TED talk. Uh, he's with a call to men. So if you type in Tony Porter called to men, you'll see his TED talk. But basically, it's those rules of what it means to be a man. Like real men don't show emotions. Real men make all the decisions. Real men don't ask for help. Real men are heterosexual. Real men aren't handicapped, etc. It's all they're all the bullshit rules that don't work for anybody, including men. And so, if I'm able to successfully shine the light and get men to become aware of why they've been doing what they've been doing, why they've been saying what they've been saying. That's a good step in the first direction. And that's just the first step. The second step is listen with empathy and compassion. Listen to yourself. Listen to your emotions. Listen to what's going on for others. Get interested in the lived experience of other people besides yourself. And one of the biggest challenges I've faced, because I get asked this question all the time, you know, Ray, how do you, how do you reach men? And I'm like, well, we got to get them interested in people's experiences other than their own, because if we're not in pain, it's out of sight, out of mind. But if I'm a woman or I'm a woman of color, or if, if I, or if I'm a member of the LGBTQI community uh, or any other marginalized group, every day I have to live with microaggressions. And when men or white men become aware that this is going on around them, light bulb goes on and, and I get them to thinking, do you want to contribute to that? Or do you want to contribute to creating a true sense of belonging? So uh, that's the, the second step. The third step is a little more nuanced, and that's all about accountability, which is taking responsibility for your unexamined privilege and bias and, when necessary, cleaning things up. This opens up the door to a conversation around intention versus impact. You don't want to say, hey, I didn't mean it, when someone lets you know that you said or did something that landed negatively on them because you're centering yourself again. And you're invalidating their experience. Fourth step, last but not least, is committing to new practices and behaviors. That's where the rubber hits the road. So those four steps, I know I went through them very quickly, but the book is filled with stories, and it, which, which, it's what drives my keynotes. And I just used a couple of those steps today when I facilitated a very uncomfortable conversation with 42 leaders with the state of Oregon, when a, a man who identified... Uh, uh, as part of the LGBTQI community, community, he told me how this whole presentation was landing on him and that it was too heteronormative for him. And I had to step up and just say, I'm sorry that it landed on you that way. I didn't say it wasn't my intention. Uh, and I said, thank you for saying that. And I'm going to work a little bit more on how I could set a little bit better context so that people who identify in the same group as you do feel a little more included. And it wasn't that hard to do. So Absolutely. Anyway, I could go on and on, Phil, but you probably have. Well, I'm enjoying you going on and on, Ray, because I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm in awe. I'm just, I'm just 
sucking up and as in listening to the uh, to the message because it's right in my wheelhouse. I get it. I talk to gay men in the LGBTQ community here in Australia, and I mean, yes. I've got a Martin Starks, a guy who runs uh, gay boxing. And he's yes. looking to get it certified, and he's a beautiful fella. And I follow a number of these key people on LinkedIn, and really we do have massive issues here in my country, in Australia as well, where people feel discriminated. They feel ostracised because of their how they identify, their sexual preferences, and it's it's wrong. We need to shift that, and I'm loving what you're doing, and I want to be hold a, a torch to what you're doing, and that's why I love this conversation because it's conversations that I think as boys, and, and you're a little old, I'm 54, but mm-hmm. it's true. We It's kind of like, well, we're handed a game, a, a playbook, and this yeah. is how we're meant to act, and this is how we play in the, the schoolyard, and then we take that from high school or college and into the work environment, and it's kind of like that hunter mentality that, uh, you know, we, we beat our chest and uh, we, we retreat into our cave and we bring the kill home and the world's changed a lot. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's important. People need to feel validated in the workplace and know that they have a purpose, not just watch the KPI, not watch your ROI. That's all important stuff, all about profit, of course, but people do matter and people just want to feel that, you know, they're important too. So I love the fact that this work that you're doing I think is extremely powerful and so timely. And I think, Ray, would it be fair to I mean, I ask you this question, the pandemic, I mean, I live in the most, well, the locked, most lockdown city in the world during the pandemic, Melbourne, Australia. We held the inglorious record. And the way work environments are now with people working a lot more remotely, the whole confusion around the pandemic, should I be vaccinated? Maybe I don't want to be vaccinated. Is it a conspiracy theory? All these things. We're seeing some, I reckon, a lot of confusion in the workplace. So I think, again, right now, where do you see your work in terms of all the context of what's been going on? Because I reckon that this world's a very confused place right now. Well, the day one of uh, when COVID hit, I remember being on a Zoom call with my partners. And we were at that time, we were five partners, four men and one woman. And we would do check-ins regularly. I learned that from my men's work. And on this particular day, I looked at everybody and I said, I just need to call this out. Can we all get fucking real here? I mean, really, what's going on with you? And everybody had a bomb to drop. And it occurred to me, I said, if this is going on with us, I wonder what's going on with all those men and women in corporate America, I bet you command and control is just ripe for the taking. And I wonder. So I reached out to a couple of guys and said, hey, I've got this idea. I want to create a space, you know, once a fr- once a Friday. I want to call it the Getting Real series. And I want to give people a chance to show up, get real, go into a little Zoom breakout room and just uh, take the armor off. And, and get real. And uh, one of the guys who worked at Oracle said, oh, my God, command and control raised its ugly head today. I yelled at my kids. I cried twice today. This is a six foot eight uh, man of, of Latin descent, just getting real, being vulnerable, sharing with me what was going on. And so that's what I did during COVID. And it really and then because of our because I was in the conference business. We had to shift. So we 
ended up doing several virtual conferences. And now this year, I had the intention to do a live and streaming conference in New York, June 2nd, and one in November. Well, I just pulled the plug on the New York one because Omicron still is leering its ugly head and sponsors didn't show up and my venue sponsor um, pulled the plug at the last minute. But that's the, the here's the good news. This gave rise to my new idea, which we're going to do. And that is, since San Francisco is lining up, we've got a venue, we've got sponsors, and we have this amazing show slash facilitated workshop to put on. I thought, why not do one conference, two live events at the same time in San Francisco and New York, half of the facilitators in New York, half of the facilitators in San Francisco, when the facilitators in New York are live to the audience there, we stream them to a screen in San Francisco, vice versa, because I've done several keynotes where I was on the screen and there were people in the audience. So we're going to be as inclusive as, as possible, and that's what we're going to be doing uh, this year. And companies are just starting to say, hey, can you come live? And so I'm basically following and adapting to what companies are doing <clears throat> because one of the things that virtual does is it extends our reach, which is a good thing. Absolutely. I think that the, this whole, I mean, we've got to look for the silver lining in these things. And let's face it, Zoom meetings. I mean, I, I used to have to travel several hours to go and visit clients. Now I can catch up on a Zoom call or a Microsoft Teams and I can do business and we can sift and sort pretty quickly to qualify people in or out in terms of the, my day-to-day yeah. -day business. Yeah. Beautiful. We get, we get shit done a lot quicker now and a lot more yeah. efficiently. Yeah. And I love that. And we don't have to do that dance like we used to have to do the dance with people and we'll meet right. for a coffee and we're doing all this stuff. It's like, you know what? You can be very sincere on this sort of a Zoom call and work out. You can feel the transference, whether there is a real energy Right. that you guys are going to collaborate and do something. And what you've done, you've just explained, hell, there was a challenge, but we're now saying, where's the opportunity in this? Bingo, you're going to make it a much better event, yeah. I think. So Absolutely. That's off to you, brother. I'm loving it. So what's your big vision? Talk to me, Ray. I mean, I'm a visionary. I'm building a legacy. I haven't told you half of what's going on with us, but this is not about me today. So what is your big vision? So my, my big vision uh, is after... I get corporate America uh, to write their ships or corporate America, uh, corporate global. Let me put it that way. Cause I'm talking to companies all over the world. Um, and when companies recognize the critical importance of engaging men in their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Uh, my vision is that this movement that I am, I've started called the better man movement that uh, men will be stepping up as allies, as inclusionary leaders, using their power, position, and privilege for good, doing their part to shift the culture. So that's the, the corporate vision. But the bigger vision is going mainstream. And my bigger vision has to do with stepping into media. And so I'm working on a treatment um, for a docu-series that's going to showcase positive masculinity. There's a lot of masculinity crisis work out there and that's fine but one of the things i learned in my coaching practice is if you process the negative you're left with no negative and no positive 
So why not showcase and highlight the positive, uh, the, those, those a variety of examples of what positive masculinity, the new model, what it looks like. So awesome. that's, that's the bigger vision uh, that I currently hold. So in terms of then feeding that bigger vision, give us some examples of what you would deem as positive masculinity. So in my book, I talk about the six principles of heart-based leadership. Now, these principles aren't available. They're available not just for men, but not just the context of leadership, but in life. So if you think about it, Stepping out of the man box, we have to step out of something and step into something. And so healthy masculinity, heart-based leadership principles, one of them is emotional literacy. Having a conscious relationship with your emotions. Not that you're stuffing them, but yet you're experiencing fear, feeling sadness, sadness, processing loss, understanding the distinction of healthy shame versus toxic shame, clean anger and joy. Right. That's just one of them. The second one is vulnerability. And as Brene Brown says, that's uncertainty, risk and emotional exposure. This whole idea of vulnerability being a sign of weakness is horse pucky. Showing one's vulnerability is a sign of strength, which is why I'm going to call my talks, my my, uh, my docuseries going first to, to, to showcase those who are going first. Uh, third is authenticity. You know, being being who you are, because everybody else is taken, not being performative. Totally. Uh, and then fourth, uh, being accountable, taking responsibility for your words, choices, and actions. And when necessary, you know, if the consequences were unintended, cleaning things up. Fifth, inclusivity, making sure you're doing your part to make sure everyone's included. And last but not least, love. Seeing, valuing, respecting, hearing, honoring another is akin to love. So those those are the those are the the hows, if you will, that to answer your question. Yeah, I love it, and I, and a lot of that, Jesus, is so aligned with what we're doing. I mean, in our Keep Five Alive program, number one point is actually how do you feel about you today? Check in with yourself, be present, understand. You know, some days it's okay not to be okay, but be in check with your emotions, acknowledge them, step into them. I often say in our, our Facebook group at Saving Brothers, right, you know, guys, you've got tear ducts, use them. You know, that's God gave you tear ducts. It's okay. Right. It's cathartic to have a bloody good cry. I mean, I'm a sook when it comes to a good movie. I'll sit there with my girlfriend. I can have tears running down my face. But, geez, I feel cleansed. It's like the rains come after all that drought. So I just think us guys, we got to get used to using these things a little more and be in touch. And I, I think make peace with the guy in the mirror. We've got to get to like that fella. I've often talked about this. You would have heard of the great Brian Tracy. I've seen him speak live like I've seen a lot of the great American speakers over the years when they came down under to Australia. But he talks about taking responsibility. We are the director of our movie. And if at the end of the day we're not happy with ourselves, we can rewrite the script. But we've got to make peace with that guy, that dude in the mirror, and get to know him and like him. Because I yes. reckon, Ray, in the work that you've done, 55 workshops you said you've led men's retreats, mm-hmm. there'd be a lot of guys I reckon you've come across who fundamentally don't like that little boy inside of them. They might be big corporate CEOs and all that BS, but they actually probably deep down don't like themselves. 
Yes, and that and you you talk about you matter. Carl Jung, the renowned uh, psychologist, introduced yeah, sure. the concept that I teach all the time, which is shadow beliefs and shadow behaviors. And shadow beliefs are those parts of ourselves that we hide, we press, and deny. And those are things like, I don't matter. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. And that usually comes from our core, core wounding. And the irony is those beliefs are bullshit. They're not true. We do matter. We are lovable, right? We are enough. And to, to begin to operate from that place and having our behaviors in alignment with those is what it means to be a whole human. Oh, I totally agree with you, brother. In fact, what I haven't shared with you, we talk about the childhood and boys for earlier, is that uh, the second phase of what we're building here at Saving Brothers Ray is called Saving Little Brothers. So we want to help boys get good role models. A lot of boys, you know, since the Industrial Revolution, as you know, men worked in the fields with boys and it took a village to raise a, a boy mm-hmm. into a man. So the second phase of Saving Brothers is called Saving Little Brothers. So we want to get boys good role models, good mentors to become good teenagers. So that helps with that whole issue of toxic masculinity. So by the time they hit the corporate workplace, they get it. Yeah, They really do understand. And your work's vital, part of the whole, if you like, the whole recipe for getting that right. So, again, brother, vicariously hats off to you. I'm absolutely loving the power of of this conversation. One of the things I've got here on my notes, there are seven highly effective steps to start the journey where men are waking up and needing to be accountable for their behaviour and actions. Can you unpack that one for us, Ray? That was a mouthful, by the way. The seven, say that to me again. Yeah, sure. It's a bit, sounds a bit like Stephen Covey's seven habits. I know, I, I, was, I got a little sidetracked. Hey, I get sidetracked all the day. That's typical of a men. Reminds me of a buddy of mine out of uh, John Jackson out of Texas. You know how we get distracted very easily. Women often say, oh, you guys can only do one thing at a time. And he talks about, he says, Phil, because our concentration span can waver. And he says, Phil, how many rabbits can you chase at one time? And I've, I've always loved that saying. But one of your key messages that I've got here is that men are waking up to the need to be accountable for their behaviour and actions. And you've covered that. But the challenge is learning how to identify and face them in order to grow. I love that. But for leaders, there are seven highly effective steps that will start the journey. And you've said that they're easily learned and easily shared. And so, I love you just to... So I have, a, I have a confession to make. Sure. If it's, the, if it's the piece I think that I wrote for my PR team, yep. I don't even remember. See, that's how hey, cool. stuff comes out of me. I don't even remember what I said because if I reconstituted it in such a way, um, you feel so feel free to share them and it might get my brain going. Well, you know, the thing about that, is what you've done there is just showing your openness and honesty. Yeah. Because again, often we'll make shit up. We 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 BS ourselves. I mean, you talk I, I actually sort of segue into what you said before that we've got this this stuff going on in our head. I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. See, you didn't you got passed over, you didn't get the job promotion, you failed on that, and we've just got all this bullshit that runs around in our heads from when we were kids because we were brought up that, you know, you're not good enough, you're, you're, not, you're, you're a failure, you're this, you're that. And I think part of what your message is is we've really got to re-engineer our thinking. As the great Zig Ziglar once said, 
So, so many people have got stinking thinking. <laughs> I love that one. So what were the the, the, the the article that I believe I wrote that my PR team may have sent you to get your attention? What were the what 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 were the the, the seven things that, that I supposedly wrote? <laughs> the best part about it in my notes here, right, is that there wasn't anything that said what those seven things were. <laughs> all right, so so now I can make it up. Absolutely. So so all right, just so ask me the question one more time. Sure. So in terms of leaders. The question or the statement was that there are seven highly effective steps that will start the journey. So the challenge, though, is with learning how to identify and face them in order to grow. So we're talking, and it goes back to what you had said, which is men are starting to wake up to the need to be accountable for their behaviour and actions. So in that context, you were talking about that there are things that men can do to start that journey. So I think it's really about facilitating, if I can read between the lines, it's about facilitating the changes. Oh, that I, men I, I think start. I know, I think I know um, what you're referring to. And so uh, I believe in my, uh, in my book, in the introduction, um, I I gave in order to get ready uh, to to get on the journey, if you will. I believe um, I, I I made some suggestions of what one could do yep. uh, to, to get ready, and I'm uh, bearing with me here because I, I broke a lot of this stuff down. Um, yeah. Um, bear with me. Uh, yeah, that's cool because it is about making those changes. But the first thing, one of the keys you did bring up before was being aware yes. of what's going on in your own environment and not just in your own head, but being aware with what's going on in your corporate environment to be able to say, well, we need to make, as leaders, we need to make this an environment that people want to feel that they're valued, yeah, that their contribution matters. Yes, Remember the saying, the fish rots from the head down. So what you're doing is, you, as you said, you got together with that 40-odd uh, leaders in Oregon. Yeah. And you're really ultimately, I think, shifting their thinking around, hang on, let's reframe how we view our staff, our leaders, our management, our employees. So ultimately, by being more vulnerable, and I think it's very important for the leaders to be vulnerable because it yeah. humanises them. Yeah. And ultimately people go, I can now relate to him. He's not just my boss. I don't obey him just because he's the boss. But I actually like and respect his vulnerability and it's okay to be not always okay, right? I found what you're referring to. And and in the yep. book, in the section, in the, the chapter called Simple Steps to Take Right Now, okay. I offer... Um, contextual guidance to leaders, to men, um, to basically put their behavior, their language, and their relationship with power under the microscope. That was one of the things. And so I, I offer them, what are, what are some of the things you can start to do? One, you can declare for yourself an intention to learn more about what drives your language and your behavior without self-judgment. That's a big awareness piece. It's like, don't wait until your unally like behavior calls attention to you and someone says, hey, Ray, 
you said this and it totally triggered me and I, and I feel excluded. Decide ahead of time to put yourself on the journey. So that's the first step. The second one is seek a female mentor partner and get curious about her experience and how she's impacted by men's behaviors. And most importantly, when she starts talking, listen. Listen, listen, listen. Don't invalidate. Don't be. Don't try to win. Don't defend or justify. Just listen. And then the next one is seek and secure a male support accountability partner. This work, us guys, we cannot do alone. So it's best to get on this learning journey with at least one other guy to keep each other honest. And then last but not least, learn about and understand the concept of power differentials and how others experience your power and position. Now, that's just in the context of you being a leader. So it's, I mean, and so those, if those were the steps you were looking for, those, those what I got because I didn't remember the article that I wrote because I've written so many of them. <laughs> so you knocked it out of the park, right? That just absolutely was perfect, spot on. It's exactly what we were looking for. But I think what I would love to ask you is in the context of the work you're doing, tell us a little bit more about the Better Man or Better Men conference and, and, and the aims with that because that to me dovetails right into the wheelhouse of what Saving Brothers is about. So I'd love you to unpack that a little bit more and your goals and aims because you're looking to take that around the world. Sure. So, so initially it was my, the Better Man Conference was my answer to my observation that there was no conference for men to be better. And I came up with the notion better man because it's aspirational because deep down inside all men, I've yet to meet a man who doesn't want to be better. And given that I was on my own journey, I've said, you know what, just a lot of guys aren't aware of what's going on for people other than themselves. So how about if I, without any shame or blame, set up an experiential safe place uh, for men and others to come to learn, get inspired, to, to think and feel differently and get energized? And so, you know, I reached out to sports figures, entertainment figures, um, corporate figures to have them come. And for those who are on their journey or who had had gone pretty far to share to the audience so that if you were an audience member, you come in there and you're like, Oh my God, I had no idea that this was possible. How many, I can't tell you how many women and and anybody who didn't identify as a male would say, I had no idea that this was going on for men, that men could feel emote, be vulnerable. And it was, it was, it was success right out of the gates. And so the, I was feeding the activist in me and, we kept doing this and people kept coming and then one thing led to the next. And so now, you know, I'm a, I'm a foodie. I, I love to serve food, both soul food and real food. And so the event hospitality guy in me wanted to do this conference and it's a great place for people to gather. So it was hard during COVID, but at least we were able to put on a show virtually. And so now Every year we get to explore different themes. So this year we are exploring power, patriarchy, and privilege. The three P's. Dismantling patriarchy, changing our relationship with power, and understanding, appreciating, and using privilege for good. So we're, we're looking at all of this and going across the top to give people a taste. 
and then they'll go back into their orgs. They're starting to think differently. Maybe the men will go to their DEI departments and say, hey, what are we doing? Can we have some training? Can we send a group to raise next conference? Can we get his book? Whatever the case may be. So that's the whole idea behind the Better Man Conference. And maybe even the bigger vision is for some of these huge trade shows where there's a lot of men to have a Better Man lounge or a Better Man experience embedded in the conference. And so we've already done one in the UK. Um, we've already been gotten inquiries about EMEA. So there you go. So it's just a matter. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Absolutely. I love it, Ray. I mean, with us, we're all about helping men be the best version of themselves in their physical yeah. health, self and wealth. I love it. I think this is absolutely spot on. Ray, I'd love to give you the parting word. The last thing you would want in terms of giving men advice around the world as we bring our podcast globally, what would be your parting word for people, men and women, let's say, listening or watching this uh, Saving Brothers podcast? Don't wait. Get on board as soon as opposed to later. Be proactive. Get interested uh, in how you can be a better ally and a better leader. And for the guys, you know, go to showingupbook.com and get the book and you can register uh, for a free virtual Better Man ticket. That's a $99 value. Um, and if and if you are at a company and you want to talk to me about like a workshop or a keynote or you love this idea of a Better Man conference in Australia, uh, we can make it happen, but we're going to need corporate sponsors in your neck of the woods. Love it, Ray. Beautiful. Absolutely. What an awesome way for you to finish your day being a guest with us here at Saving Brothers. You can hopefully just go and chill now as I get stuck into my day. And, mate, it's an absolute pleasure. And I thank you, brother, for being a guest here at Saving Brothers. Thanks so much, Phil. Take care, man. This has been a Saving Brothers podcast. Thanks for listening.